Blog Talk Radio. edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and sometimes stuff that's a lot more fun, namely culture, uh, from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy, objectivism, is the one that uniquely upholds, defends, justifies the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and I've got in the studio here, as usual with me, cartoonist Bosch Faustin. Good evening. Hello, everyone. Did you hear me when I said, oh, I, I couldn't hear. Did you hear me? I don't know if I heard you. Did you just click it on like before? Anyway. No, you know, I, a little, uh, with, our, with our nifty little soundboard here yeah. in the studio, there's a microphone button that you turn on, and I turn it on sometime during the introductory music, and if I do it too soon, then sometimes yeah. people hear sounds that they should not. I hope the sound's better than last week. I hope it is too. The sound was like it's like we were underwater. Yeah, last week we had the Pro Studio, which operates through something called Direct Connect over here at Blog Talk. And while I thought it sounded awesome, especially the promise of HD sound, I did not like the results. And no. so this week we're back with the regular studio connecting via Skype, and so you can go ahead and, and let me know. Over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio, feel free, of course, to dive in at the chat room. Uh, we've got people already talking about how many shopping days until Christmas, and adding to that, the more important number, 790 days before Obama leaves office. Yes, that would be worth celebrating. You know, could we somehow just arrange 790 days of golf games for mm-hmm. Obama before he leaves office? Because I'm starting to think well, that is the that anyway. only way we're going to avoid disaster. Yeah, but he'll do that anyway. And when he's golfing, he's probably plotting <sighs> as he golfs. He doesn't think. He plots. If you would like to know the main topic of today's show, of course, you do see the title here on Blog Talk Radio. So, But you can also go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com. I don't have program notes up there today. A lot of it's pretty obvious, although I may post some links as we're chatting over there today. But we are going to be talking about Obama's amnesty, which he sprung on everyone yesterday. And in particular, I'm going to take you know, a fairly controversial stand, which is that his amnesty is worthless to any immigrant, any immigrant, either affected by it, not affected by it, all the immigrants, and, of course, all the rest of us, it is worthless. Even those of us who promote, and and here's one thing. Actually, I had someone try to post on my blog last week. He says, oh, you said you're for open immigration, and here's all the things against open immigration. Don't be. I've 
spoken about immigration a number of times on this show. What I am in favor of is open immigration in the sense that I believe that we should nonetheless screen out criminals. We should screen out anybody who is in a group that wants to overthrow our style of government, namely Muslims who promote Sharia law. I I think that they should be excluded. So I think any Muslims or people from Muslim countries would at least be subjected to a heavier amount of scrutiny right now, or more screening than usual, but nonetheless, if they're not people who promote Sharia and and the overthrow of the Western system, okay, that could be fine. Uh, And then finally, people who have horrible contagious diseases such that they pose a threat to the people around them, maybe people who are spewing Ebola vomit, should not come into this country. I think that's that's pretty clear. But Overall, substantively, I'm in favor of open immigration. But nonetheless, I think that Obama's amnesty is worthless to those of us rational people who are in favor of open immigration. And I'm going to explain why. So if you want to get in on this discussion, you can do so over here at the Blog Talk Radio chat room where a lot of people are already chiming in. Hi, Abbott. Hi, John. I got AC, Craig, and PA. And uh, Rob. Rob says he's ready, although... I saw Rob said he was ready, and then I thought I saw him drop off the list over there on the right-hand side of the chat room that says, oh, there he is. He's back. I see Selfishness and Mark and just Gene and everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the chat room. You can also call if you'd like to, and the phone number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And I thought it might be helpful here to just um, you know, kind of start with the facts and, and what Obama is actually doing with respect to immigration. I know in the past several days there have been comparisons saying that Obama is not doing anything more than what Reagan did. And there's a helpful little clip over here on the Wall Street Journal video website. By the way, thanks. To those people who support this show because one of the things that I do with the money that you send me is I have a subscription to the Wall Street Journal website and sometimes I think oh how much use is it really and of course I get mad at the Wall Street Journal reporting but there's often helpful little factual gems like this piece so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and play this little clip for you which is just fact checking it is comparing what Obama is doing to what Reagan did. Listen to this. Nope, I thought I had it. Mm, I think we're not plugged in. One moment, please. Technical difficulties. Let's grab it. The the cord is plugged in one side and it's not plugged in the other side. So see this cord here? We don't have it plugged in the soundboard or we do? We've got it plugged in the soundboard. Okay, then the problem is my volume. Aha! Okay, sorry everyone. We need we need a Mr. Producer. Is that what we need? That's right. Mark we, Levin's yeah. Mr. Producer. We need Mark Levin's Mr. Producer. Okay, so let's go ahead and rewind and go back to discuss what Obama did versus Reagan. Immigration changes President Barack Obama is expected to introduce represent the most significant easing of the policy since Ronald Reagan granted amnesty to an estimated three million people in nineteen eighty six. How do the two presidents' policies compare? President Obama is using executive action to offer changes that will apply to a select cohort of illegal immigrants. 
executive action. This is how Obama is doing his amnesty. And listen, so he's got a select cohort of the illegals who are here right Those now. between the ages of 15 and 30 who came to the U.S. as children. That could be as many as 5 million people. They'll get the opportunity to apply for a two-year renewable exemption from deportation, along with a work permit. They must first prove they've graduated from high school or been discharged honorably from the U.S. military. Their potential path to citizenship is uncertain. President Reagan signed into law a bill that gave a path to citizenship to 3 million people of all ages who were in the U.S. illegally at the time, granting temporary resident status to those who could prove they'd resided continuously in the U.S. for five years. After another five years, they could apply to become U.S. citizens. Those with felony convictions or three misdemeanors were ineligible. What about border enforcement? Mr. Obama's executive action will overhaul the enforcement system, including making changes to a program that uses local enforcement to identify undocumented immigrants. The 1986 bill signed by Mr. Reagan attempted to quell illegal immigration as well. It made hiring undocumented workers a crime and mandated a 50% increase in border security guards. But those provisions proved wildly inadequate, allowing the estimated number of individuals living illegally in the U.S. today to swell to around 11 million people. President Obama says he's using his authority to make the system work better. But Republicans may challenge the legality of Obama's executive action, some also arguing that amnesty becomes an invitation to more illegal entries. In any case, as an executive action, Mr. Obama's policy could be overturned by a future president, though it could prove politically complicated to strip people of protected status once they have it. That's the short answer. So I thought that was helpful. You see what I mean? So we've got... Those sound effects are horrible. (laughs) If you're not watching the video, it's pathetic. Sorry about that. No. But I thought thought it was a very helpful comparison, and it made abundantly clear that this is not what Reagan did. Reagan signed a bill into law, and according to the Constitution, it is Congress that has the authority to handle immigration. And what Obama is pretending to do is, oh, he's just selectively enforcing. I think think about how he puts it also. If Congress doesn't act, meaning if Congress doesn't do what I exactly want them to do, well, then I have to do it to save our system somehow. I mean, he's he's filling up a vacuum, and you know that's the presumption on his part. But he's doing something that that he that he cannot do. Right. That's it, and right. that's the problem here. And and for him to say, and oh, this he's... is the first big one that he's gonna do. He'll he'll do another one. They say for net neutrality, probably sign something into law. Well, the, uh, right, Amendment. right, and and now this that this gets into the reason that I think this is not in anyone's benefit. In no. fact, what he has done is worthless. No. Worthless, I think, to anyone. But let's then also talk about, you know, the, the situation. You know, if you go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, some people have already started commenting on today's show. And in particular, Mark comes there and he says, as as Limbaugh says, it's a democratic voter drive Millions of people from leftist countries who are disproportionately on welfare, the whole country will become like California. Now, a couple comments there. First of all, conveniently, this delay in deportation, which is what he's giving, it happens to just be two years long, and it happens to be two years starting just after the election time. So basically, they're, they're, you know, they get a reprieve from deportation just long enough to vote in the 2016 election. For a Democrat. Um, he is giving it only to the young people. 
right? Remember the contrast. Reagan was giving an amnesty to people of all ages who could prove that they were here for five years or longer, etc. And maybe some of the older people, even some of the immigrants from the so-called leftist countries, disproportionately on welfare or whatever, maybe once they were here and they were living and they were working, they got the handle on, on the actual American ideal, which is that we are individuals, we are self-sufficient, we are not people who are wards of the state. So they maybe wouldn't necessarily vote Democrat, but here it's young people who came here as children age, between the ages of 15 and 30. So any of them who are eligible voting age, young people by and large, just given amnesty by a Democratic president, who do you think they're going to vote for, right? Yeah. Seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah, Matt uh, echoes something that uh, Levin said yesterday about what Reagan did. Which is he Reagan? Was, yeah, I can I can read yeah. Matt's comment here in the again. Go over to the chat room at Blog Talk Radio if you want to chime in. Reagan was closing a statutory gap in law passed by Congress. Obama is making up law out of whole cloth. Well, that's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. That's the whole problem. And again, the idea where well, they didn't pass it, so therefore, you know I mean. Yeah. As in, whatever he arbitrarily thinks is the right thing to do, what the the right moral thing to do, well, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to wait for them to do the right thing, clearly. And that's just not our system. And when he says we're a, a country of laws, a country, you know, he's breaking the law as he's saying that. Yes. He can't do what he's doing. Right. I and know. then he's going to do more of that. And that's the big problem. Well, right. And again, and no big problem. As I put it, I said, the real problem is that the GOP has given Obama amnesty. They've amnestied Obama ever since he got in, ever since his first crimes that that he committed. No, no, of course. They of course. gave him a green light of to do more and more. Of course. Um, so so the show's over? That, that's, that's basically the gist of the show, what you said. <laughs> it's true. No, because basically you're, the, the biggest danger is the precedent that is set by this, right? The biggest danger is that now... The, they're gonna. He's gonna go on. And he's gonna do net neutrality. You're now. Have you heard kind of a buzz about the Second Amendment issue? No, I just assume he's gonna go after it. Yeah. This is what he does. Right. This is what dictators do. He's a frustrated dictator, and the GOP has made him less frustrated. That's the problem. He's gonna fulfill. He is taking the mask off right now. He's feeling his oats. Right. This is what he's always been. This is what he's always had in mind. The Barack Obama we saw. He slipped up here and there a few times. Now this this is it. No more pretense. No more is garbage from his perspective. Um, and he's going to run roughshod. And we mean that's that's a show. No, I mean that you're you're you've said the essence of it, but let me go through it kind yes. of uh, in a, in a step by step way. Well, as, so, as someone said the other day, I said your you know your analysis is great, and I just get to the point, but. I, we didn't discuss this where I'm not supposed to mention something. I'm no, just... no, no, it's fine. It's, I mean, it's, it, you, it, you've said essentially what, what I have planned, but we're going to go through it in a, in yeah. a, in a, in a bit well, more uh, detail here. We threw down a gauntlet, and now we'll get into the details. That's fine. No, no, it's good. So, um, okay, so let me, let me go back where I was. So, uh, so, so, so one big thing is, is this country now going to become, as Mark says over here on the blog, like California? Is this really just a Democratic voter drive? Is it something, as some people have said, that's going to con- uh, that's going to result mostly in tax credits yeah. being given to these nearly five million people? Um, 
some, those are some of the figures that you've heard, Bosch, right? Yes. That there's going to be a disproportionate number Absolutely. of them who are going to be eligible to receive tax credits. Now, that was not said in the Wall Street Journal video there. There they were talking about work permits. But Wall Street Journal, by the way, are very, very um, sympathetic with Obama. Very sympathetic when, when it comes to this. Right. Very. But still, they did draw the distinction between nice. Obama doing it via executive amnesty versus not. But, you know, so there is this issue that substantively this particular select group of people that he's pulled out is going to be one that's going to mostly vote Democratic, that might disproportionately be on welfare. The majority of them vote Democrat. This is what they're familiar with. This right. kind of systems. They come from socialist countries. They come from welfare states. I mean, this is what they do. They don't come here and all of a sudden become independent, you know, thinking Americans. No, they're bringing a culture here. And also this idea where there's no requirements to speak English, you know. Uh, Chuck Schumer, as a, as, as I said, oh, yeah, they'll learn English. Really? How? Are you going to teach them? Yeah. And all, you know, now, I, now, the question I, I of whether there should be a requirement to speak English is kind of a, a different thing, But, yeah, but what thing, I'm saying right? is they, Chuck Schumer felt it, the, necessity, the necessity to say that, mm-hmm. I, think, I think, today, after. Okay. As in, that's going to happen. How's it going to happen? I mean, I, I've known people who live here 20 years, 30 years. They can't speak English. They don't care to become part of the American culture at all. And uh, I think a lot of these people that Obama wants, wants that. I mean, he wants it. He wants to unmake America in a lot of ways. He wants to bring people who are, in, from his perspective, cannot become Americans, don't want to become Americans. He wants to change America. Well, so maybe this is true, right? And and this has been the argument of so many people. It's a democratic voter true. drive. It's going to change our culture. It's not it is partisan going GOP, to, but a lot of it is absolutely true. It's going because to bankrupt why, us. Why would Obama do this? Why would he do this if it's good for, for America? What does he do that's good for America? No, no, I know. So he knows this is bad. Okay. So there's there's a lot of arguments to say it substantively could be bad for America. But then there's also arguments on the other side to say, substantively, this is a good thing. Insofar as we believe in open immigration, we should have a lot more open immigration policy. And here's Obama. He's significantly opening up immigration. In addition to this, there are provisions having to do with a lot of high-tech visas and visas you know, for people who are educated. I don't think it's just this select group, although this is the main part, the main thrust of his executive amnesty. So suppose you say that substantively what Obama has done here is one part of what would be a rational immigration reform. Suppose you could say that. That's so generous. It's so it, no, it, it's totally, completely generous, right? Suppose that that was true. Um and again, it's very hard to say that that is true. Well, every movie makes hurts us. And true. And in today's context where being here suddenly makes you eligible for all sorts of welfare benefits and therefore... Because Obama says right, so. Right. So, you know, will will they all become drains on the system or will, will the net effect of this actually help people because there are a lot of people who want to hire all of them Etc. Uh, who are they voting for? Who are they not voting for? We don't know. But suppose, just suppose, this is on the path to a good policy. And also suppose you are one of the people who came here, who was brought here by your parents, who, you know, you have a dream of living in the United States, 
and you think, okay, wow, I'm going to have a two-year reprieve from deportation, shouldn't I be happy about the fact that Obama is taking a step towards a more open immigration policy? He's letting me stay here in the United States of America. Shouldn't I be happy about this? Isn't this a value to me? And my answer is no, it's still not a value. And then let me explain why. We're in the United States and we, well, I mean, anywhere, any human being, anywhere there's any human beings living in society, we need government, right? And in government, we need two things. And we always talk about the one thing. We always talk about the fact that we need a government founded on the correct principle. Government is not a value unless it is a government founded on the correct principle, namely the principle of individual rights. And this is the type of government that our founding fathers set up for us, one that was dedicated, securing rights. That's why governments are instituted, according to our founding fathers. And that is the only proper purpose of government, to protect us from the initiation of force, whether from criminals at home, um, you know, foreign invaders abroad, etc. That is what government is for. So one step is to say, okay, we're going to found a government on the right principle, we're going to found a government that is dedicated to protecting individual rights and doing all only that, not welfare, not any of these other things. You have police, you have courts, you have military. And you have to have the courts, by the way, because you need an objective arbiter of disputes. Even purely rational people can have a difference of opinion, for example, about whether a contract has been violated. And so you would need to have an objective arbiter of disputes. You also want an objective... Uh, kind of fact finder and, you know, judge and jury prosecution if there are crimes out there. You don't want to have people doing vigilante justice. So there's all of, you know, you need police, courts, military. Then suppose you have that. You say, okay, we agree on the principle and we agree on what the function of government is going to be. We know what the, you know, main functions of it are in terms of police, courts, military. But then you also need something else. You need to structure a government so that any particular people in the government who are either corrupt, right, who are going to abuse their power, or who decide that they want to introduce actions by government that don't comport with its proper function, right, namely people in the government who decide that they want to introduce a principle contrary to individual rights, like welfare, for example, what you'd like to do is set up the government so that if some people go astray, you know, again, they can go astray for a couple of reasons. They're either corrupt or they actually have different ideas about what government should do. What you want to do is you want to set up the government so that there are checks against that happening, Right. There's a defense against that happening. And namely, what do we have? We have a system of checks and balances. We don't have just an executive. We have a separation of powers. Yeah, we're supposed to have a separation of powers. We're supposed to have checks and balances to combat both of those things. Not just abuse, right? You know, the, the issue is not somebody is corrupt or somebody's abusing his power. The other reason is, and I was, by the way, I was reading some notes 
um, of some comments that Ayn Rand gave on politics in the Ayn Rand Institute's archives. It was very clear on this issue of checks and balances. I just so happen to be reading them recently, and it just happens to be relevant to this. I'm hoping that these comments are going to be published more broadly. But if, as I'm relaying this stuff to you, if there's any errors, you attribute them to me, not to Ayn Rand, but this is something that I, I fully agree with and embrace, that the reason for checks and balances is not just abuse of power, somebody being corrupt. You know, We always talk about John Boehner and he just wants golf and alcohol and tanning saloons. And you know, the, people always talk about the fact that he would hold up legislation until people paid him off essentially to bring it to the floor. And suppose he's corrupt, right? That's one issue. But the other issue is people who are willing to introduce measures that violate individual rights into our system of government. And that is also a target for checks and balances. So you need to have checks and balances. You can't just say, oh, well, we founded our government on the principle of individual rights. And, uh, you know, you don't really, you know, you need a system of checks and balances. That is an integral part of what it is to have a proper government. It's an essential part of having a proper government. And it it ensures, to the extent that you can, objectivity in, in the system because there's um, some way to have sort of error correction there. So that's why I think, because what is Obama doing with this amnesty? He's deciding, forget our system of checks and balances. Yeah, it is true that when Reagan did it last time, he was signing a bill into law, but nah. Forget it. I know I'm right substantively, he thinks. He may or may not be right substantively, right, depending on the context and the particular amnesty that he's granting. But, um, you know, he thinks he's right, and he's just going to do it because, after all, Congress won't give him the bill that he wants. They're just holding it up. So why, why, why can't he just do it? And the reason he can't just do it is the system of checks and balances that is being violated, that's being thrown under the bus because of this. And if the Republicans do not challenge this in a huge way, and also if the Democrats sit idly by, and they start allowing our executive to just go out of control like this, they're going to be really, really sorry because the system of checks and balances is part of the guarantee of the protection for individual rights. And you might say, hey, our immigration policy has not protected individual rights. In fact, our, our immigration policy has violated rights. But nonetheless, the entire system should not be violated for the sake of this error in policy. If you're going to change the immigration policy, you should change it the right way. You shouldn't be having one person go off like this and, uh, and you know, erode the entire system. And that's the that's the danger here. So I, I would say it's actually not a value because, again, if the desire of an immigrant is to come to United States and they have any idea of what the United States is and they want to live in it long term, they think of it as a country that protects rights. A country that protects rights cannot last long if we give up the whole idea of the system of, of checks and balances. You need the checks and balances. And so what they're doing in effect is they are, you know, by, by granting amnesty, he is undermining the reason that amnesty would be of value to anyone at all. 
And I think that the people who favor open immigration should be just as much against what he's doing, again, because they, again, you know, my allies among Ayn Rand fans, uh, you know, more conservatives, objectivists, libertarians, my allies who, you know, support open immigration, it's because they support the principle of individual rights. They believe people have a right to come here and that their rights should not be violated. But what they're doing, if they support what Obama did, they say, oh, well, substantively, I like it. I'm not so much on the procedure, whatever. The procedure is all important here. The procedure is something that is necessary to uphold and defend individual rights in the long term in our country. And that's really what's at, really what's at stake here. So do you know anywhere that I went wrong on that? No. No, that's it. Totally. I mean, he's cracked open our system to the point where and this, you know, the impotent GOP uh, has already established we will not impeach him, we will not shut down the government. Because in their mind, trying to impeach him or shut down the government is worse than what's happening. Right. Is worse than us falling into, you know, disrepair where we cannot c- come back. They're like, they're committed to this. Their one vow is to not shut down the government. And right. for, first of all, it's not them that will be shutting it down, literally. They commented and passed Obama. And he makes the, the decision not, not to make a deal, and then the sh- government shuts down. That's that's what happens. But the, you know, and then you get these pathetic, pathetic cowards, GOP mentality on Fox News, like uh, Crowdhammer and some other ones, saying basically even uh, Brit Brit Fume. <laughs> no, he goes out there. He's like, you know, Mr. Mr. Stammer. He goes out there. He goes, uh, everyone is an unwritten secret. You know, un, un, everyone blames the Republicans no matter what. Who? gives a rat's ass about blame from rats. The rat media will blame the Republicans, so what? If the public if the republic is at stake, to hell with the Republican Party. Right. But they're like, we don't want to be blamed. Therefore we're not gonna impeach this guy who has to be impeached because we'll get blamed. Well and and this is the thing, the whole thing that they were blamed and it took them a year to recover and all of those things. BS. It's it's a bunch of garbage. The fat boy. Um yeah. Carl Rove goes out there and says, yeah, it took us a year to recover. A year to recover? A year to recover. As in, there was something that the GOP did to uh, make themselves more appealing. No. They were sitting back, waiting for Obama to be Obama, and then to get their voters out. And that's what happened. It was nothing they did or said. The less they said, the more appealing they were. Disgusting. If people want to chime in on this topic, tell me maybe where I've gone wrong, 760-888-5817. And, yeah, go ahead, go ahead and do that, and then we're going to dive an, into the chat room An example here. about uh, one of the good guys, at least perceived good guys, Trey Gowdy. He was on Megyn Kelly recently, right, and he's talking, and uh, Megyn Kelly is talking about the Gruber. And he says, uh, basically he said, well, next time we won't be fooled again. Instead of So basically he's resigning us to Obamacare. Right. Saying next time be on the lookout for this. No, no Trey Gowdy. Yeah. No, he's supposed to protect us from this kind of crap. And then, and then he also this is a congressman with power. It's not me and you. You know that lame joke where you can't impeach Obama because Biden will be president. Right. He used that line. Oh my gosh. This that's is a congressman. Yeah. He's yeah. in power. I mean, so you know, for, first of all, one thing that came out during you know the earlier part of the week was the clip. 
And actually, I posted about it on Monday, and then Bosch and I had a little joke about it because a couple days later he comes and he he also noted the same thing, which is that Obama, in an early video, referred to Jonathan Gruber, whom he said he knew nothing about. He was just some guy or whatever. uh, He he knew nothing. Um, In an early video, he refers to have stolen ideas from, quote, John Gruber. Yes, John. Johnny. Yeah. You know, as in my we, friends we, call me John. Yeah, we know him as Jonathan, but but Obama refers to him as John. Um, but That's his boy. But no, he doesn't really know him at all. Not at all. So there was that. But you know, this idea the that familiarity of it. if if anybody in a corporation had committed the type of fraud that Obama and the Democrats have committed on us. In prison. Definitely in prison. And also this is a massive, massive fraud. I mean, millions upon millions of Americans. Yes, and to the uh, tune of billions of dollars. And also one thing, on the eve, when Obama pulls this power grab, right. on the eve, right, no one made arguments for weeks, months before about Reagan did this and Bush did it. Right. Nobody made that. It was a desperate thing to try to make it look good for this split second. Uh, Reagan did it. It's a lie. Well, and, and he here's to the do thing. It the, the night before, they, well, they uh, said that. And, and there's a reason to pull it out the night before, and it's that it would take the news cycle yes, at exactly. least a day to fact check oh, it. Of course, of course. And so, yeah, it's much better but, to just but, try to drop it there before it's been disproved. But think about this also. This, this guy's supposed to be special, according to Democrats, right? Obama. Right. You know, he's special, right? He did what all what other presidents did. He Nothing he did was special. You know what I mean? So, oh, now he's just your average president. Right. Now he's just your typical Reagan and Bush, right? No. No. No, he's an anti fire breathing anti American president. The worst I mean, the only really one I mean, Jimmy Carter was an idiot, imbecile. He you know, probably didn't didn't like the country, but he didn't hate it the way Obama does. Right. This right. is a different creature here. Yeah. This is unlike anything we've ever seen. This this is like I mean, I don't know, this is like uh a Saudi becoming president of Israel. Right. I mean, that's that's what it is. That's about that's about what it's like. Let's jump over here into the chat room, and I don't even know if I can get up to the comment that I was looking before. People are talking about the fact that they think Obama needs to be impeached. Um, someone earlier, and I can't scroll up that high anymore, had said that uh, he was questioning the 15 to 30 range as well. That the 15 to 30 range seems mighty suspicious. It means it sounds like you're looking for Democrat voters versus allowing people across the board. Uh, you notice the numbers for Reagan were three million without even, yeah. um, you know, singling out a particular age group. Obama's singling out this smaller age group, and it's estimated that it's 5 million. There's a lot more here now. No, a lot more than that even, that they're not saying. Keep in mind, this is the guy who lies us off for years for Obamacare. Anything he's going to do, he will not tell you the truth about it. Everything he's going to do. Right. Net neutrality, 10 times worse than whatever they're they're saying it is. And this is the thing, right? Because where is it at? You know, um, over here, again, I'm trying to scroll up here on the chat room. Block Talk Radio keeps moving on me. And um, one one commenter, and I can't see who it was anymore, was talking about the fact that he was more worried about the culture, the changes in the culture, than anything else. All overloading the system as well, but mostly the, the, the change in the culture. And here's the thing. We can operate to persuade 
still as long as we have freedom of speech. Yes, we can. But look at the danger here, okay? You know, again, we're not guaranteed that everyone who's going to come here is going to share the same culture, and we can sell the Western well, this, culture. This culture, in a lot of ways, has discouraged them to do that, and also almost encouraged them to hold on to their own enclaves. You know, you got your own thing, you got your own language, worry about it. I mean, you have your own culture. Don't worry about it. it Integrating. Well, Don't worry about and, assimilation. Well, and that, They've been encouraged not to do that. And, and you know, trace all this back to the progressives, right? But as long as we have freedom of speech, and particularly now with the Internet, with everything so wide open where we can all, you know, communicate with each other, then things are good. But look at the danger of this precedent that Obama is setting. He's doing this with respect to immigration and amnesty. He's doing it in such a way that substantively, hey, we're a nation of immigrants, and you know, how can anybody possibly argue against this? And he's got the sob story about the the student. Her name is Astrid something or another. Let me see if I can find her little uh, sob story in his address. By the way, I've got the whitehouse.gov uh actual text of the speech up here but he talked about he's you know he's he's going to las vegas he's going to meet astrid silva and she was brought here when she was four years old and her only possessions were a cross a doll and a frilly dress you know so the whole story and everything um how and and as the wall street journal piece brought up how is the next president going to reverse this policy and take this away from them actually as it as it's true obama doesn't really care these people are going to have their reprieve from deportation just long enough to vote in the next election so there's that but um you know the 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 point here is is that basically he is going to make it so that the republicans don't want to do anything they are going to be seen as mean and horrible people to astrid silva and all the people like her and so they won't do anything, right? They're, and, and as it is, what, they've left town without doing anything? Yes, they did. They've left town without doing a damn thing. With their tails between their legs, yeah, these and, rats. So, you know, and, and I, you know, I'm going to play for you in a minute or two And there here. was no passionate outcry against it by well, the GOP but, at large. Yeah. By the GOP leadership, zero. Yeah. Zero. Why don't Why don't we play, for example? Ugh, the pre- <laughs> Yeah, let's 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 yeah, play listen, let's listen play Bainers. Let's play Bainers because I mean this is just the bane of the really really sad. Let's see if it'll come right up. This is Speaker Bainers' little press conference on Obama's immigration. If it will actually start playing over here at YouTube. Okay, it is unmuted. Come on, Speaker Boehner. Okay. Well, he can't speak. He can't speak. I guess. How, I'm, I'm watching a little thing spin the around and around. Of the house. The non-speaker of the house. Okay, let's try again. Come on, Speaker Boehner, where are you? It's a 28-second video, and I can't. Pull he's it crying. Up. He's crying. Hold on. Is he crying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs a crying <laughs> break. And he's smoking, and he's tanning, and he, and he's drinking. Well, all at the same time. If if and when it ever comes up, I'll let you come up. But the but the point is, is that the Republicans are not showing any real resistance to no. this at this point. And 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 so what's going to happen with this. net neutrality? What's going to happen when net neutrality comes up? Because Obama's going to try to achieve regulation yes. of the internet as a utility Look, and leaves, net neutrality all on his own with his pen and He wants to knock home. down some major walls in this country before he leaves, and this is the first big step that that he pulled yesterday. Again, the Second Amendment, he, he'll go after it. He won't even probably need a pretense; he'll just do something, right? 
and the net neutrality, and then who knows what else? He has two years. That's a long time. You know, we're, we're like, okay, last two years? No. Two years is a long time. Right. You can do a lot of damage. Right. And that's his goal. And this is the first step. He's like, I get away with this. That's it. This, this is one of the reasons why, I mean, the Republican Party has given him a green light like, like he couldn't believe probably. He probably thought there might be a little more resistance, you know, let's say. Right. And he's like, wow, these guys. Incredible. Well, and then what we got to do is we have to look at his remarks. So you can't put the sound from today. Below? It is not coming up. This okay, dumb the idiot, video. the imbecile said something along the lines of, I, this, this is John Boehner. We watched it. We watched it. This is, First of all, it looked like. Okay, here it comes. Here it comes. Ooh, listen Instead to the of working music. together to fix our broken immigration system, the president says he's acting on his own. That's just not how our democracy works. Democracy. Wait, wait, wait. Stop, 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 stop. Okay. Democracy. First of all, he's slurring his words a little bit, going. <laughs> he is slurring his words. He is. And, and what in the world you are sworn to protect and uphold the Constitution, yes. you should know more than anybody that we have a constitutional republic, yes. not a democracy. And, you know, basically what Obama says is he is acting as if we have a democracy, right? Because what does he think he's doing? He thinks he's acting according to what the majority, if you had an actual, just a democratic vote, mob rule, that they would probably support the substance of what he wants. They, they No, I think they would. I mean, two-thirds of the people didn't even come out to vote in this last election. Yeah. And so the fact to me that the Republicans yeah, are put in there doesn't necessarily again, mean that the majority... What Obama's doing, how he's doing it, this is not good. Well, no, how he's doing America, it is terrible. Is because, good. again, we have a constitutional republic. And, and he's also making the country less of what it was. Less He's given people less of a reason to come to a country that they thought was great. Well, exactly. By him doing what he's doing. And, again, he's setting a precedent for the next one. That, that's why we're going to have scum of the earth try to become president next because to have the power that Obama's had. That's why we need a virtuous human being in that in that in the house. So let's listen to the remainder of the speaker's short speech. That's just not how our democracy works. The president has said before that he's not king and he's not an emperor, but he's sure acting like one, and he's doing it at a time when the American people want nothing more than for us to work together. Okay, first of all, he said king. It's king, Johnny. King. King. He's having a hard time really articulating those words. 29 seconds. He spent, I mean, listen, it has no substance. It's it's false about the democracy. But also, he's acting like a king, you know. That's a a hard charge. You have to deliver it a little hard, don't you? He's acting like a king. Come on. When Americans want us to work, now Americans want, wait, Americans want you, John Bannon, to work with a king? And also, that's not why you got voted in. You got voted in to kick his ass. Not, exactly. Not to kiss his ass. No, no, no. And and this idea, the American people want them to, quote, work together. <laughs> also, um, someone said, we don't want gridlock. We want gridlock. Well, we want government shutdown if necessary, if we have to. And again, you know, I was, I was reading these notes on, you know, Ayn Rand giving some answers on political questions. And... Suppose it was true that the majority of the American people, quote, wanted them to work together. 
It doesn't matter, right? Because that is a subjective desire, and it is not right for them to, quote, work together. What What is right is for them to protect individual rights via this system of checks and balances. The fact that they're all there doesn't mean that they they should all play nice and go out and have hopscotch and recess or something. You know what Chris Christie, a.k.a. Eater Eating, said in response? Oh, yeah. The final words was, he's not serious about being bipartisan. I mean... Look at that pig. He wants to go. I mean, this guy, he can do whatever the hell he wants in New Jersey. Just, you know what I mean? Don't bring that crap to pretend that you're going to go there and work with peop- a party. Work with a party that has helped destroy the country. This is a Democrat care. Obamacare is Democrat care in the end. And Chris Christie has no problem working with him. None whatsoever. We have got the Speaker of the House talking in terms of democracy, i.e. mob rule, and saying that the American people, quote, want them to work together. With a, with a so king. So in, in Boehner's mind, the whole idea that Limbaugh said the day after the election, and he was so good and so strong would, on the very beginning of the way, show, d- he, he, said, he said the American people did not elect these people to go in there and, quote, govern or work together or whatever. <sighs> they elected these Republicans to go in there and Stop Barack govern, Obama. Govern Stop means, Barack I mean, Obama. to me, govern, when Christopher says it, that's a code word for expand government. It really is. Because when politicians get together from both parties, they're there to make their power bigger and to make our freedom less. That's really what it comes down to when they want to quote, quote, unquote, govern. Because that's not their job. Their job is, I mean, if, if you want to get serious, go into Washington and unmake a lot of this crap. Right. Right. Now, we know that. Ted Cruz has gone out there and he is promoting a two-pronged plan. I watched a video in which Ted Cruz appeared on Megyn Kelly, and he said what that plan was is that the Senate and the House should use every power that they have in order to undo. And they do have a lot of power. They, They have this power. So in particular, what he's proposing is, first, the Senate should refuse to appoint any non-essential in terms of defense of the country, any non-essential appointee for Obama, the Senate should refuse to appoint those people unless Obama undoes this executive order. So that's one thing. And then the other thing that he is suggesting is a technique that may indeed result in a shutdown. And then the question is, can you get Speaker Boehner to go along with it. It's sounding like not, but but, but I like I like I like what Ted Cruz says. This of is what, this is, this is the is, only no, one who says no, anything worthwhile. Right, right. But this is what he this is what he says that they should do. What they should do is they should use their power of the purse to pass individual pieces of legislation. He just carries a purse, uh, Boehner. He just carries it around. It's, it's a pink purse. It doesn't do anything worth it. But go on. <laughs> so the first thing they should do is pass an appropriations bill that, for example, funds just the military or funds, you know, just particular individual government departments and functions piece by piece by piece. The, the, the you know, pieces of legislation don't say anything about amnesty or Obamacare or anything else. They make no mention, but they just fund certain functions of government and then leave it to Obama to veto those things, and then you say, okay, well, he doesn't Obviously. want to fund it, right? And go out there publicly and make some noise about it, you know. Yeah. I mean, but the damning thing for the Republicans is that they voted in John Boehner as leader, 
and Mitch McConnell. I mean, listen that to that guy. That is, that, no, is, that is just pathetic. That damns me. That's why the only hope is the real outsiders, Tea Party, coming in and taking over those positions, period. One, one thing also about, about Ted Cruz. Uh, Rand Paul, I, I said it before, Rand Paul exists in order to make Ted Cruz look good. Rand Paul, right, he's been trying to make a outreach for the black community, whatever that means, black community. Mm-hmm. Are they just Americans? But anyway, and he met with Al Sharpton the other day. That tells you right there, it's pure pandering, period. A low-life racist like Al Sharpton, you're going to get any value from that? Yeah, no, as far Rand as... Rand Paul believes that. As far as I can tell, Ted Cruz is the only solid... Ted Cruz is the guy. Solid, That's it. Solid guy. He's the guy who really... I, al- I also listened to his uh, speech of Cicero, Cicero yes. which, is, which, very good. which is quite good. We have a call over here, and I'm going to go ahead and grab it. Hi, who's this? Hi, I'm Jim Valiant, and I'm calling in for the first time. Uh, Jim. Hey, Jim. I, I, great because, to hear you. Well, I always agree with you. I, so <laughs> this is sort of an diff- di- uh, unusual spot for me to be in because I actually okay. have a slight, and it's highly technical, I grant you, but a slight okay. disagreement. Good, bring it on. Okay. Having, uh, when, uh, with the build-up to all this, uh, just to let your, your listeners know, I am an attorney, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I have some background in this. And listening to the build-up to this, I was absolutely certain that Obama was going to cross all kinds of constitutional lines in the process. He sure sounded like it, and he sure sounded like he was contradicting everything that he'd said for the previous four years about this. I'm not an emperor. I don't have the power to do this, etc. But I have carefully gone over what he said, and I've carefully gone over the opinion that that his people uh, uh, issued on this. And it really is an exercise of statutory authority. He doesn't even invoke his constitutional Article II powers in the process. And when you look at the statutory authority that does exist, that does exist, and mm-hmm. frankly, that's the greater problem, is, the, is the, the reckless manner in which Congress has given the executive already, decades ago, has given the executive... Right discretionary authority on this, and maybe even worse, the way that Congress has given these administrative agencies like ICE and before that the INS discretionary authority is sort of the obscene violation of separation of powers. But the Supreme Court has long ago upheld that. And I think that is maybe where some of the problem here really rests is the the, uh, grant of authority that Congress has granted the president. But strictly speaking, he, uh, Obama's order is, um, at least within the four corners of it, simply an exercise, as it states in its own terms, of the discretionary authority that Congress has already statutorily given the president. Now, it is true now, that there here, are Here's profound... a question, though. Here's a, here's a question, yeah. though. So it's some sort of a prosecutorial discretion, right? He's choosing, right. in fact, not to take the legal remedies against these people who are not here in an authorized way. But he's doing it for whole predetermined classes of people declaring in advance that he's not, you know, versus on a case-by-case basis. And I would always think of prosecutorial discretion as applying on a case-by-case basis. Well, it's certainly true that uh, prosecutorial discretion has been held by the courts uh, to be invalid if it frustrates the very purpose of the law. Uh, that is true. Nor can the president uh, violate some specific uh, provision of the statute involved. On the other hand, the power is very, very broad. For example, if a local sheriff says, you know, this 4th of July, people can drink beer on the at the beach, and I'm not going to enforce it because there's just too many people and they're just having a good time. So this 4th of July, nobody 
gets a ticket for okay, drinking okay. at the beach. So wait, wait, let so me So that's let a pretty broad you. sweeping thing. Okay, let me ask you this question. So if I understand you correctly, you think that the president has been given the statutory authority to do pretty much everything that he's doing here. I would, I'm not, uh, where I would pull back and where I still have some questions about this is some of those statutory provisions. He may be stepping on some clear statutory provision that I'm not aware of because the immigration okay. laws are very, very, they're Byzantine no, in I'm their sure, complexity. I'm, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure they say A in one place and non-A in other places. Remember, too, but, but, George Bush and, and, and Reagan both oh, yeah. used categories uh, you know, if you're the children, you're in. You're in. If you're, you know, uh, a special need category, that whole category, I will defer uh, deportations on. They, uh, as I say, my real objection here, my fundamental objection here, is to the scope of power that the courts have granted the executive or, or Congress in in giving the executive its uh, legislative authority. We have well, administrative isn't, isn't agencies that. Um... that isn't that unconstitutional in a way? I mean, yeah. you can't just negate yeah. a provision of the Constitution by passing a piece of legislation. So right, but that's but that's like uh, fifty-five, sixty years old now. Back in the fifties, the Supreme right. Court said, you know, when when uh, the New Deal came along and all these alphabet agencies came along, uh, a lot of uh, statutory power was granted to these administrative agencies. And more than that, these administrative agencies were were both legislator and cop and e- even. Uh, 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 acting as a, uh, the judiciary here, all three right. roles were given to these administrative agencies. They made the rule, they enforced the rule, they went out and punished the, the rule violator. Okay. And that, I believe, to be unconstitutional. I think the decision right. back then was fundamentally wrong, flawed. It, it gave the executive way too much authority. It took too much authority away from Congress. It made all of these regulatory agencies, since the New Deal, uh, theoretically even possible. They are, in effect, a violation of what James Madison had in mind with the separation of powers. So, yeah, that's where well, my basic and, disagreement and, and, is. And now I understand that the Department of Homeland Security is is playing a key role in the enforcement or non-enforcement of some immigration provisions. Is that right? That is correct, too. That is absolutely correct. And they're making up their own rules. And th- w- what you just said uh, a minute ago is actually a very good point, uh, too. It's the specific... Um, He's laying out a very specific set of, I will do this, I won't do this, if you're this, if you're not that. That is right. legislating. There's just no, right. there's no uh, <laughs> two ways of looking at it. But, we have, again, we have long had a system where the courts, unfortunately, have said, uh, well, if the Congress doesn't spell it out, the president can spell it out. Instead of kicking it back to Congress right. for being too vague, what they do is they say, no, the president or his minions can spell out uh, and correct the error. Well, if, then here's, here's, here's one question then, right? I mean, if you're right that there are unfortunately statutory provisions that arguably give Obama this power that, that, he, that he shouldn't have. Well, I'm sure he did cite it, or his people cited them in the yeah. legal opinion that, that James yes. has, has read. But um, if that's true, then why wouldn't the strategy articulated by Ted Cruz, who is also a smart attorney, according to Alan Dershowitz, one of the smartest yeah. graduates of Harvard, right? Why wouldn't his strategy simply be when they get the new Republican majority in January to uh, you know, amend those statutes? 
Why not just amend they, those statutes and take that power away? Of course, but they, with the current president in the next two years, we have to would have to overcome a veto override. We'd have to have two thirds of right. each house to actually right. change those statutes, which is the unfortunate and you, and you, thing. And you, and you don't you don't think you can get that in uh, the Senate with those Democrats? Probably mm. not, right? I think it's pretty because, unlikely uh, in yeah. the next two years. Certainly, you know, if you had a, a president who was. If President Cruz is in there two years from now, <laughs> I'm wishfully right. thinking, uh, then, yeah, we could do all kinds of wonderful things with a Republican majority. So um, then the only, the only solution then is a lawsuit to try to overturn that precedent you're talking about from the 50s. Right, and it is a precedent that has, has a pyramid built on top of it. So it's right. not a likely precedent to go away anytime soon, uh, unfortunately. Now, I am – I. I'm 100% with you about all these other things. I mean, President Obama in his first term alone with his executive actions, in my view, violated the Constitution repeatedly over and over. And at least in some of it, the court has started slapping him back, for example, on recess appointments. That was a unanimous decision on an obviously uh, gross presidential power grab and overreach. And right. and frankly, the, the ways he's delayed the enforcement of certain aspects of the ACA are direct violations of Obamacare, of the statute as it was written. Right. Um, and that is totally inexcusable on its face. So in a number of ways, there's no doubt in my mind, this guy's uh, been grabbing power in an unprecedented way for the presidency. I was certain he was going to do the same, but but after looking at it very carefully this morning, all I can say is that, technically speaking, he has kept himself at least within, uh, at least in his stated justification, within statutory justification that has long ago been given to the president to do this. Um, It is distressing. Several things are distressing here. One is, he said, I couldn't do it, and then proceeded to do it. Right. Um, <laughs> well, last year he's been saying, and months ago he said that, right. exactly. He's been saying, I'm not an emperor. Yeah. That's not how yeah. our system works. All correct. Yeah. Uh, and sorry, now sorry, he's flip-flopped sorry, on thing. that for purely says, political Obama, reasons. I'm sorry. Um, Obama always says, the problem is I'm not a dictator. The problem is I'm not a dictator. The problem a is, the problem. Right. he wishes he were. Right. <laughs> right. That's pretty clear that he mentioned. does wish he were. It really is. You know, and the justification that he gives, Congress hasn't acted, is no constitutional or even legal justification. The House doesn't have to do anything. If the separation of powers means anything, Mr. President, it means that, guess what, you can wait forever, and that doesn't give you the right to do anything. So the stated justification he gives constitutionally is all wrong. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for him to articulate the justification this way. Um, and and that is consistent with all these other executive power grabs that he's done, in my view. Um, right. In Go a way, on. I agree with you, too, that he hasn't done any favors, uh, for most fundamentally, because he, it, by destroying by, – in this particular case, I wouldn't say it, it's a direct assault on the Constitution in itself, although it's part of a larger uh, assault yeah. on the separation of powers in the way I've said. And more than that. What he's done is he's created a group of uh, a whole class of people who are still in a highly insecure limbo land. He hasn't done them much of a favor at all, even in the right. near term, even in a practical sense. His whole aim here is 
purely political. He wants to put the Republicans in what he thinks is a difficult position so that if they oppose this or fight this or try to reverse this in the future, they're going to look like they're anti-Hispanic. Right. And the racial politics is basically the only way Democrats think, of course. And so that's their strategy here. It's ugly. It's un-American. And uh, uh, so I fully agree with with everything else you say. It's just the technical thing, the the technical legal thing here is my sole disagreement. I think what he stated here is within the sorts of things presidents have done on immigration before, only it's much bigger. It's in the face of, con- of congressional inaction, which does sort of make it a little different, because while you're waiting for Congress to act and you say, gee, I can't do it until they act, uh, it sort of puts a, it, it sort of makes the president sound like, like, I don't care what Congress thinks. I don't care that we have this other branch exactly. of government. Exactly. And that is disturbing in itself. The rationale, the justification he gives, the House hasn't acted, that is really dangerous. Well, and, and then here's the thing, too, you know, it's just like even if supposedly he arguably has authority to do what he's done, and, and again, you know, it might be a thing where each, you know, each president pushes the envelope beyond what the prior one did, and, you know, before. They sure and then, do. And then, and then, of course, whatever this vague sounding power was in the statute is going to be twisted out all out of whatever the supposed intention of the original writers of the statute was. Um, or right. even what they reasonably would have thought the language in the statute would have meant, right? It's it's probably all out of proportion now, and and particularly when, like I said, he's he's specifying a particular class, like an entire class between yeah. certain age groups and all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, when when, when, when you he gets Reagan, down to details, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, Reagan is saying, you know, everybody amnesty for all these people. And, um, you know, Obama's like, no, amnesty for people between this and this and the blah. It is not like a typical exercise of prosecution. It isn't. And presidents have, before him, stretched the authority beyond probably what the statute uh, had intended. And each has done so. And Obama is certainly continuing that process of stretching the quote, discretionary authority that the uh, immigration statute has given the executive. Uh, There's another mm, development in that power grab for sure. But in itself, he wasn't arguing. The the one thing I I did take some solace in, at least, was that I fully anticipated him to, just as George Bush uh, the elder did and just as Reagan did when they handled immigration matters, what they said is, I have Article II executive authority as the president under the Constitution to do this. And Mm. they really didn't. And I was certainly uh, anticipating Obama saying something like that. He really didn't. I was at least mildly pleasantly surprised when the only legal justification that his people gave it was existing statutory law, and they cited existing statutory law. But with you, I I am dubious. The more detailed these these rules become, the more it looks like it's the role of Congress. And uh, Obama has certainly taken that to a new step. Well, and then and then think about this wrinkle, right? So he goes out there and he does something that technically, arguably, he could get away with within the the statutes, but the Republicans are portraying it as him usurping the rule of law, as you know, basically. There is a continuum, though. You know, 
from their perspective. You well, know? right, right, right. But but you know if if they are going out yeah. there and saying this is a violation of our system of checks and balances, and you know we we must do something to stop it, stop Obama's amnesty dot com and all this stuff, right? If they do this, and then it turns out that really they are not able to do anything at all, either politically feasibly or or really because. Like you said, Obama's walking that line so well that they don't really have that legal argument to stand on, that really their quibble is with the statute that authorized him. Then they're in a world of hurt, right? Because they're basically saying Obama grabbed executive power, and right. uh, oh well, we can't do anything about it, so now he's got executive power. It, it's almost like you know reinforcing and encouraging exactly. him to grab even more power in other areas. Like and I fear neutrality. that he will do more, yeah. yeah. What you say is absolutely right. Being able to get, letting him get away with this time after time after time. In fact, the corruption of our entire political language, Congress is, quote, shutting government down yes. by doing what the framers envisioned, using the, using the power of the purse. We have, right. that already has so perverted our system and so right. turned our republic upside down. I mean, <laughs> Congress shutting government down? No, no, no. Yep. That's exercising the power of the purse. Exactly. And, and by, by corrupting the language that badly, we really have hurt our constitutional system. And I would join in the Republican efforts, those few Republicans who actually are being clear and principled about this, about the power grab that this constitutes, if they were to take a more principled stance about the separation of power and the existing statutory authority way back when that was given to the president and the executive branch in general. If they were to take a principled stance about executive agencies not being given these legislative and judicial powers, then, right. oh boy, they would be on consistent, uh, solid uh, philosophical ground in my mind, and I would be leading the parade with them. Um, but, you know, as you point out, these pusillanimous Republicans have already thrown in the towel mostly. I mean, okay, so they may try to re repeal a few provisions of, the, of Obamacare, but they really have, have mostly caved in that we're not going to impeach him. Right. I mean, let's assume it was an impeachable offense. I mean, the man did say I would be acting like an emperor. Yes. Uh, let's assume that, they, that we've ignored all the other impeachable offenses, frankly, that he's committed up to this point. Uh, uh, the, they're just not uh, using their tools. They've just declared, you know, uh, amnesty, as Bosch says, unilaterally by saying, well, we're not going to use any of our constitutional tools. It's awful. He's a dictator. It's, it's vicious. He's destroying our system. But, hey, what can we do? Right, it's, right. It's vile. And, 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 if, and, and if and if they don't if they don't back off that idea and say, well, look, technically there's a statutory authority and the blah 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 and the blah and and point out where he has actually exceeded his authority and where right. maybe he has, but we're not so sure. It, it, it's troubling in terms of the fact that maybe they're not going to be able to do anything about it. And then what is that going to end up meaning in the minds of the American people? What have the Congress portrayed themselves as giving up because right. of the way that they've framed the debate, so to speak? Um, and, and listen to this, too. You know, um, one thing I was talking about earlier, James, and I hope that you get a chance to see these too, because I bet you'd love to see. But the, you know, there's some uh, there's some Q and A's that are in the Ayn Rand archives that are on topics in politics. And uh -huh. one of the things one of the things that she mentions is it's not this idea of the consent of the governed. It's not the consent that makes you know government justified, right? It's it's the fact that the government operates on a certain principle. 
I don't remember signing any social contract. (laughs) No, no, no. And, and, you know, consent is just, you know, basically somebody's wishes. It's, it's, Primacy of consciousness, whatever's in your brain, you know, it's it's just it's consent. Right. It's a, it, it it doesn't mean anything. It's not a principle right? at all, right? I mean, I I could consent to pay for you know John Boehner's tanning bed forever, or, something, but, you know. <laughs> or his whiskey budget. Well, <laughs> 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 um, but you know, even um, even Ted Cruz, who is arguably good, you know, he's behind this stop Obama's amnesty effort. You know, and usually I'm clicking like on so much of what Ted Cruz does, and I haven't been able to bring myself to click like on these things because, to me, the you know, I, I would much rather continue to watch or you know watch Ted Cruz continue to rail away at net neutrality, and right. rail away at the because these are right. way bigger fish to fry. Right. Obamacare, Obamacare, net neutrality, the idea of regulating the internet as a utility. Uh, these are way bigger, but but here's a poster, right? right? There's a little poster that Ted Cruz uh, put on Facebook, and it says Obama's executive amnesty. And just go over to Senator Ted Cruz's page on Facebook if you want to see this. You scroll down, and it was you know a couple days ago. It says Obama's executive amnesty. Over 316 million U.S. citizens, represented by 535 members of Congress, and one president is defying them all. Stop Obama's amnesty, right? So this is how they're portraying it. That and it's you know he's defying the quote will of the people, and so here even though I mean I think it's Cruz being a little bit sloppy because it's given this impression that it's the yeah. the majority rule. You know this is yeah. what the majority wants. This was the it's mandate democracy. that you're given right. to. An, I mean, and he's used the word mandate too. Right. This is this is not right. You know, they right. have been elected in and what Principles. they're elected in to exercise whatever power they can to protect our rights from this would be dictator. That's what they're supposed to be doing. It's not quote the will of the people, it's protecting the rights of the people. Right. And regar- regardless of what the quote will is. And and so I mean, you Yeah, you, and Cruz you, is the best we've got. You know, I agree. Yeah. I agree to some extent uh, uh, with those who say, "Look, we've got to take a more careful look at immigration, especially these days." You know, in a world where you know we're having children dying from diseases being brought from Latin America, in a right. world in which we have Islamic terrorists, um, uh, we do have to take a tougher look at our immigration policies. On the other hand, I am very pro-immigration. I think we should have a lot more legal immigration. So. In the the net effect of this is not really you know and should we really be concerned about the net effect? But the net effect of this is is not so much what bothers me. I do think that that no. they're desiring to bring in a large number of voters that they think will help the Democratic Party. I think they may be fifteen to thirty. Fifteen to thirty is a very suspicious right. age range. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely is. Uh, I, I'm not sure that they'll be so successful in that because the history of American immigration has not always uh, prove, proved that they're uh, solid voting blocks, certainly not um, over time. And um, so that wouldn't be the reason I would, I, would, I would fight it. I think their political aims are probably not very – won't be very successful. But what they will do to our, political, to our constitutional system in the process does distress me. And that is a far greater concern, uh, no doubt, uh, on this as well as all kinds of other issues like net neutrality. Uh, right. Much bigger fish to fry. 
Right, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am so concerned about the net neutrality. I think, you know, the idea of regular and this I mean, get me if tell me if I'm right with this, James. Because as I understand it, he's tried to do net neutrality before and he was defeated. It's something that they would have to, via legislation, say that the FCC has the power to enforce this. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to get the FCC to reclassify the Internet as a utility so that he can get net neutrality. And, again, all net neutrality means is that the government gets to dictate how the various Internet service providers treat the so-called traffic that travels on the Internet. Yes. Yeah, and that is exactly correct, and that is a uh, that would be true violence to our legal system too. The the constant expansion, the F, the Federal Communications Act could not be more clear. And unless the 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 and so help me, these leftist judges that get in there, they don't care. They don't care if the Federal Communications Act said, okay, just these kind of communications are the ones you get to regulate. No, no. Some president, some leftist president gets elected and they say, oh, no, it includes the Internet. So then down the road, now maybe with our current Supreme Court, I have no no guarantees with Kennedy or Roberts uh, or Scalia, but uh, but maybe with our current court they might have a different view. But typically what has happened in the last 60 years is courts have said, you know, of course it wasn't exactly envisioned by Congress when they wrote the statute. But see, it, it, it's, it's the general idea they had. Mm. How many times have they done that with the Environmental Protection Agency? Right. How many times have they done that with other regulatory agencies? Just expanded the authority without any new congressional authority, mind you. And that is exactly what Obama wants to do. He wants to, uh, do, uh, again, do an end run around Congress so that he can have a regulatory agency regulate something that was never in the original meaning of the statute that created the FCC. Absolutely. Well, and and moreover, this is such a crucial area. So I don't know if you listened last week, but last week I had come off of just rereading 1984. (laughs) So I'm envisioning, right, we've got the Internet. We have all of our devices connected to the Internet. We have all of our computers connected to the Internet. And half the time, at least, People have stored records of their entire lives in the so-called cloud, okay? Exactly. You've got a government entirely taking over the Internet, and suddenly you have the potential to do what was in 1984 because there's so many people right now who are, quote, digitizing their lives. Mm -hmm. And our records of our entire lives, of history, of everything, is there and I could just see a button pushed by an Obama just wiping all of it out. And then where do memories reside, as they say in 1984? You know, O'Brien says, it's only <laughs> then in the memories. And then, of course, right. they're going to do things to you to wipe the memories, too. You know, right. where does the past They get the to tell exist? us how many fingers they're holding up. Yeah. Right, right. That's what it comes so, down to. <clears throat> so... You know, if the government takes control of the Internet, which is our main vehicle for doing business, which means for sustaining our lives, our main vehicle for communicating ideas to each other, uh, you know, it, it's the beginning of the it's end. It's de and facto so, censorship. Exactly. Yes. Now, the truth is that a lot of technology has actually uh itself done an end run around regulation. Cable television, for example, did a wonderful end run around the FCC, and thank God for time, and in some ways they're allowed to get away with that. Uh, 
you know, because the whole justification for the for treating a, uh, it was never a good justification. The airwaves were never public property, and it was never a public good. But the whole justification is, well, there's just so many, you know, uh, stations there can be. We have to kind of treat them like a monopoly. And when you have cable and a thousand, you know, cable channels, it destroys the whole justification. But of course, that right. doesn't stop them from still wanting to regulate it. And no. uh, it, it, we have the same thing with the internet. People are now substituting, as you say, telephone communications with Skype and so forth. And instead of saying, hey, okay, well, then that eliminated our justification for making telephones a monopoly in the first place. Let's just let it go free. No, it's another utility. We have to get control of it. And once they do get control of it, of course, it's de facto censorship. They tell us what what gets regulated, what what communications are permissible and what aren't. And then they come up with things like fairness doctrines, right? Right. (laughs) Saying, well, we have to have balance, ideological balance, which is, in effect, government censorship, telling us what what opinions will be allowed and not. And if if people doubt whether, if net neutrality passes, that the FCC is going to use it to control the content of what's being put out there, (laughs) all, all, all they have to do is remember, do you remember it was one of the... FCC, I forget what they're called. There's some commissioner board or whatever yeah. at the head. And there's some Democrats and some Republicans on all the time. And one of the Republicans right. has been serving as a whistleblower here and there. And he revealed a plan for a program in which the FCC would place in every single newsroom, every newsroom. around the country some yep. little bureaucratic guy just sitting there watching you. Right. Just just watching. There can be no good purpose for that. There can be no legitimate, uh, no. honest governmental purpose for having a watcher in the newsrooms across the country. And they realized no, that's very it, was, dangerous. it was too early for that. They realized uh, we can't get rid of that yet. Yeah, not, not, yet. not yet. Exactly. Not yet. Exactly. Exactly. Not yet. Right. And, Boy, that's and so then, true. So, so then, yeah. So they would. They would. They would use this power, I think, in, in order to, to do this. Um, so there is James, no I doubt. They want to they want to shut down any opposition. They wanted to shut down talk radio. They'd love to shut down Fox News. I mean Fox News, even with all the crowd hammers and Brit fumes, yeah. I mean that's that's still not that's still not acceptable, right? right. Yeah. I mean you've got you've got Greg Greg Gutfeld apologizing for the NSA, you know. So, it, but mm, but mm, still, mm. it's much better than there is anything out there. So, well, that's true. He, I mean, you have Greg Gutfeld who isn't perfect. I mean, yeah. but geez, at least there's an opposition voice out there with Fox. Yeah. At least there's another, another uh, half the time they're idiots, but at least yeah. there there's an opposition voice out there, and they want to shut that down. And the truth is sometimes aired, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, James, yeah. No, I had the best that... guy on Fox is my buddy Jonathan Honig. He's got to be the most principled voice over there, <laughs> really. No, he's he's the best, and and, and uh, yeah, he stirs he ruffles a lot of feathers, yes, and I does. I think that's a, a very awesome. very good thing. Good thing, now, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Now I hadn't intended this to be sort of an interview of you, but that's kind oh, of what I'm, I'm doing. Since, no, no, it's fine because you're another legal mind, so I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little, especially because the other day I went and watched a speech by Steve Simpson over at the Ayn Rand Institute where he was Always talking about listening to, yeah. Yeah, cronyism and, and such. It's a really and good one. A couple points that he made and I'll just kind of run them by you and and see what you think. One of them is 
And, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of in this mood today, right, because, you know, this Obama's executive amnesty, as it, as it were, uh, makes things look really bad. It's a bad omen for the future in terms of the Republicans being able to stop him from, you know, achieving all of his evil aims, right? Yeah. But one, one thing that Steve said was that if you're looking at politics, you really can't think of politics as a way to, you know, primarily achieve your ideal world or to get things really that much better in effect that politics insofar as we're involved in it is really only defensive right now. Um, yeah, you're just, purely. You're just try, trying to trying keep to, things trying from to, getting too much worse. The person who will do the least damage is, is usually the best we can do. Absolutely. So there's that, you know, kind of sobering thing where you just say, okay, we just can't get too worked up about, for instance, Ted Cruz. There's someone over here in uh, the blog talk radio chat room uh and i haven't seen him before uh vorpal bike two or something i don't know if you're checking the chat roll over here but um besides the fact that we've got a lot of bold face type and i i believe if oh yeah if you if you you scroll up a bit this person says the ted cruz is not good because hidden in one of his bills is an extension of the patriot act now i don't know whether that's true or false but I am open and ready for Ted Cruz to disappoint me in ways other than this. Absolutely. You know, oh, yeah. Oh, this. yeah. He will, yeah. So, but he's, I mean, if we had a He's the best we today, have. Exactly, and that's the whole thing. About, yeah, about no, and, and every time I, I vote for a Republican, <laughs> I, I hold my breath and, and I think yeah. to myself, how far is he going to take us down the yes. road of religious um, governance? Right. Uh, because right. all of them, to some degree, all of them, it's almost a condition of being an elected Republican nowadays. They're, they're, they'll hound you out of the Republican Party. You're certainly not qualified for national office if you don't have a number of religiously motivated views, like being against abortion and so forth. But it's almost he a qualification. Yeah, I was going to say, he typically hasn't emphasized that too much. But if he was to actually have some bad views on Patriot Act slash NSA issues, that would be very disappointing. You know, John, you had a piece, I think just earlier this week, and um, apparently Rand Paul and Ted Cruz together did some sort of a filibuster on a so-called, you know, reform of the surveillance programs. I guess it was probably one that didn't really reform them at all or did something horrible. And so John Yu, who is in effect on the you know, Ambassador John Bolton, apologist for NSA kind of side, says that because they were against this, you know, surveillance bill and because of their filibuster, that they, Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, were disqualified to be presidents of the United States. Now, I would say that, that puts they a were star probably there for uniquely qualified, right? Exactly. There are other reasons I don't like Rand Paul, but that puts a big star right, next right, to Ted right. Cruz's name. Well, and, and this has always been, you know, something that I've liked about Rand Paul because he's typically been right. on the right side of, of the well, issues. Well, on that, but yeah, on that kind of like an issue, only, yeah. yeah. Right. Um but but you know it would really disappoint me if if that was the case. But you know one thing that that uh, Simpson also said the other day, and I just I loved it. He was saying that the Republicans in general, not not Cruz, because I think Cruz has been really as much as anybody can be expected to today, trying to do the right thing on principle. He's the only one yeah. that I I see yeah, doing that. But but in general, these guys like Boehner, you 
they're they're sort of like this is what he says they're they're like Lucy in the Peanuts cartoon, yes. and you know how Lucy would hold the football for Charlie Brown, and oh, yeah. each time Charlie Brown would always think, okay. You know, she's going to let me kick the football this time. She's really going to let me kick the football this time. And each time, every single darn time. She'll always give a persuasive argument, too, for why you should really trust her this time. Exactly, exactly. And so the Republicans are doing that to us, the voters. All the time. All the time. Now, you elect Republicans like George Bush last time for two times. You give them a Republican Congress, and what do we get from it? Nothing. Absolutely zero. Less than nothing. Did they even remove the public television subsidy? No. The puny little public television subsidy. So what do we get? We get big government, big spending. Just, it's awful. Yeah. And we also, get less than zero from them. Yeah, post 9-11, no defense either. So that's just, you know, you... <laughs> well, that, that's, that is cosmically the worst thing George Bush did. I mean, my God, he so squandered the, the, the opportunity, the public moment when he could have said, we're going after Islamic, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> but he didn't. Yeah. He dropped no, he the didn't. ball completely. Utterly. Yeah. That is absolutely the worst thing, obviously. It yeah. almost transcends everything else that W did. But, uh, but think about it. What do we ever get? What do we get from them when we get a Republican Congress and a Republican no. president? Nothing. No, nothing, it, you know, nothing, nothing. Remember Contract with America? Contract with America? <laughs> right, right. You know, they'll now, come think, in. Think That's the Lucy think promise, think wasn't it? Wasn't that have... the Lucy promise? The yes, contract with America. Does. Vote for contract us, guys, and we'll do all this. Yes. And they don't. Girls, and they don't. It, there's, um, there's a new listener, or at least a new participant in the chat room over here called Singing Pearl, and he or she says, 2016 is when we Americans will have the power. And this is really what I wonder is true. Now, I think if you have a President Ted Cruz, then there's a potential that we're not going to get the you know same thing with Lucy holding the football. But if the president in 2016 is a Republican who is anybody else except Ted Cruz, mm. I would believe it's probably <laughs> Lucy all over again. And what I want to know is, uh, Singing Pearl in the in the chat room here, just let me know. Do you remember Contract with America, and were you as disappointed as I was that nothing substantial? came of that. I mean, it is, it is just ridiculous. And, and by the way, when you talk about public television, James, I don't know if you noticed in Obama's little speech the other day, he was talking about Astrid Silva, who he's going to go see. By the way, yes. Astrid Silva, he, he says this, Astrid Silva is on her third college degree. <laughs> and we're, we're supposed to be excited about her. But, I mean, there's that. Now, now I, I, have, I have... I, I do have three degrees, okay? I have three degrees, but I have I have one one undergraduate degree, and then I have two different graduate degrees. But he's saying three college degrees, so he doesn't talk about, for instance, a PhD or a master's or whatever. So that's kind of. But he, he well, she got an MD or a JD. Should at least be employable. <laughs> for sure, for sure, you know. Um, but then the other thing that he make, he make, he makes a point of of saying that she learned English by quote reading uh, newspapers and watching PBS. Got got to put PBS in there. Got to put season. PBS in there because Lord knows she couldn't have have learned English by watching the news or some some uh, commercially sponsored documentary on television. No, it had to be publicly supported <laughs> documentaries on television, or she would never have learned a lick of English. 
Right, right. So, <laughs> so, there, so there's that. So so you really politics right now is, is defensive at the very best. At the very and, best. You know, only if we got someone like a Cruz, who's probably the best that we've seen in a very long time, could we hope for anything going in the in the right direction. What distinguishes Cruz from me? I mean, I know he's... Uh, he states his Christian faith, and I know he's uh, not pro-choice. And but the thing that distinguishes him, in my mind, is that he is principled, and that he will talk about the Constitution, and he, he does it in a way where it's obviously not just so much window dressing for him. He's obviously saying, no, our policy needs to be motivated by principles, and our policy needs to be consistent with the ideas of the framers, and. That sets him apart even from uh, nearly all Republicans in Congress. So that's yeah. the reason why I think I'm supporting him uh, come yeah. uh, the next election. Well, and did you watch the one-hour spiel that he did on free speech? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the, That's exactly it. I mean, he invokes principle. He has classical right. learning. Um, right. He's a different kind of guy. And he's a Rand fan as well. Well, and this is this is the thing. It's not just an and in my book, right? I I really think that the difference that makes yes. the difference between him and other politicians in Washington is that he is truly influenced by Rand. He's not an objectivist, but I mean, he will he unabashedly recommended Atlas Shrugged on the floor of the Senate. In fact, we've been talking about getting that clip up again. Yeah. Do you want to try to see if you can get oh, that? Yeah. I totally can. Also, he's called Ayn Rand one of my all-time heroes. And he doesn't go, you know, at one, you know, you hear Paul Ryan. At one moment he'll say, oh, yeah, I like yeah. Ayn Rand. I give the book out for, for Christmas yeah. presents. And then the next minute he'll say, well, no, well, you know I'm not an Ayn yeah. Rand conservative about this or that or this I'm other. Right. Okay, so so you really just yeah. negated most of it after <laughs> you just said yeah. it, right? right. And Ted right. Cruz doesn't do that. You're right. No. And, and 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 this is why I tell people who listen to the show. I mean, whether you particularly agree with objectivism or not, but look at this guy. This is the most solid guy in Washington, as far as we can tell. And I swear, the difference that makes the difference is that he really internalized a lot of what Rand had to say in politics, at least. Right. And um, and is not afraid to admit it. Right. And say so, so happily. So so there he is. So we might we might have a chance. And so then, then the question would be, you know, and, and you know, people ask these questions, and I always think now. I mean, I guess when I was younger, I would have more earnestly asked these questions, but now I almost just think, you know, why? What's the point of asking them? But the question is, how would you roll it all back? You know, do you have a grand plan for rolling it all back? Right, or rolling and, some of it back? Gosh, I'd be happy if you had a program for seriously rolling a piece of it back. You know, and 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 so yeah, what I always I mean, my default would be, if in, unless you have some other argument to the contrary, my default would be last in, first out. So whatever the last control of the economy, yeah. right? So and and this wouldn't necessarily apply in the judicial realm, right? Because you have these judicial precedents, like what was it Marbury versus Madison, or yeah. what you know, whatever that go way back, and then there's a whole edifice, you know. Uh, that's right. built upon it. So it's not like you can literally go last in, first out with judicial You know, it precedent. may be the reverse rule on the judiciary. I mean, the right. legislature, you might say last, you know, first out was the last in, but in with the judiciary, you may want a reverse thing. In fact, some of those more fundamental decisions made way back in the 19th century are the ones where you really need to get 
<laughs> to the root of. Exactly. Some of them in the 30s, too, were really awful, too. So it right. may be the reverse right. principle with the judiciary. Right, right. But then the legislative realm, unless you've got, you know, some sort of special knowledge about the economy or whatever, where you know you can get away with, you know, wiping a whole department of government out in one fell swoop or something, then otherwise you would say, okay, kind of last in, first out. So in the medical field, I mean, I'm sure that there have actually already been more controls put on the medical industry since Obamacare. But we always think of Obama as like the last significant piece of legislation in that area. So, okay, repeal that first and then go back and get rid of the prescription drug thing. And, you know, whatever the the big pieces were, you just kind of peel Unwind. them like layers of onion. Right. That would be that'd be the way I go. So, you know, when Senator Ted Cruz becomes President Ted Cruz and he hires me and you, Jim, you know, <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just go back and kind of look at the, uh, what is it, the, the Federal Registry or whatever where they, you know, post in chronological order all the horrible things that are passed and we'll just get them repealed yeah. like one by one by one <laughs> in reverse them. chronological exactly. order. Yeah, uh, why right. not? I think it, I think it would work unless there's you know some real reason. I mean the biggest the biggest thing again you know, we've talked about this in the past. The the biggest thing really is to get that Obamacare out of there, and then yeah. we need to get the government out of education. Yes, we need I would to get say that the big the big entitlements really are the issues. I, I you know right now with Obamacare it is over over overwhelmingly the the issue. I would say that um, uh, education, any federal role in education, must be eliminated uh, as of yesterday. But apart, and that is a high priority. And apart from that, though, it's Medicare and Social Security, the most sacrosanct things uh, out there. Uh, the, the sacred cows of sacred cows are really the most important things for us to take on. And that's you know, if I had to name the single biggest thing that irritated me about W is that he came in with the promise, the, the, the one shred of a hope that he might have had, well, I'm going to address Social Security. I'm going to start with private accounts. I'm going to start creating a private alternative to that. Wow, how exciting. Did he deliver on that? No. The time yeah. he was supposed to be delivering on that, I, I recall quite vividly, was the case of a woman who was supposed to who wanted to die in Florida, Terry Schiavo, I think her name was. Right. And the, the 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 whole debate about whether or not she should die or not completely preoccupied him and the Congress right at the moment when they should have been doing something practical, addressing Social Security. Yes, it was politically difficult at the time, but did he put an ounce of political energy into it? No. Not at all. It was difficult, so he turned his back on it. And I think someone like Ted Cruz is not like that. I don't think he'd turn his, at least I hope so, he doesn't sound like he would turn his back on a clear principled promise he'd made uh, uh, just for political reasons at the time. Uh, At least I'm hoping. Now, speaking of Cruz, Bosch has the clip of him recommending Atlas Shrugged here to play again. So we're just going to play that for a second. So if you go ahead and hang on. You got the volume? Here it comes. I'd like to share a few excerpts. I turned it up. Atlas Shrugged. There it is. By Ayn Rand. Now, let me encourage Ed Red Atlas Shrugged to go tomorrow. What's going on? I don't know. I'd like to share a few excerpts. There we go. From one of my favorite books. 
Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Now, let me encourage any of you who have not read Atlas Shrugged to go tomorrow, buy Atlas Shrugged and read it. What's interesting is in the last three years, my understanding is sales of Atlas Shrugged have exploded because we are living in the days of Ayn Rand. So I just want to share a few excerpts that are all fundamentally about liberty and the liberty that Obamacare infringes. Productiveness is your acceptance of morality, your recognition of the fact that you choose to live, that productive work is the process by which man's consciousness controls his existence, a constant process of acquiring knowledge and shaping matter to fit one's purpose, of translating an idea into physical form, of remaking the earth in the image of one's values. That all work is creative work if done by a thinking mind. And no work is creative if done by a blank who repeats in an uncritical stupor a routine he has learned from others. That your work is yours to choose and the choice is as wide as your mind. That nothing more is possible to you and nothing less is human. That to cheat your way into a job bigger than your mind can handle is to become a fear-corroded ape. <laughs> That's a phrase you don't hear often in modern parlance. Fear-corroded ape. On borrowed motions and borrowed time. And to settle down into a job that requires less than your mind's full capacity is to cut your motor and sentence yourself to another kind of motion. Decay. My, is that happening across this country as a result of Obamacare? There was more. I mean, he brought her fountainhead, but that was the only clip that had because the old ones but, were broken. Right. So right. my God, to connect the dots like that. Yes. Wow. Right. Yeah. right. That, and at, 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 at that point, he was talking about Obamacare in particular and how, I guess, Obamacare would affect productiveness right. in our country. And, and to recommend, you know, Iran's radical philosophy, a philosopher on the floor of the Senate. I mean, I was just blown away. Yeah, yeah. Now that's that's truly admirable and yeah. courageous and principled, and um, yeah. that's what makes him stand out from other yeah. politicians. Yeah. So you I, know, so I probably I, have. I, take... submit, I submit to my listeners all the time that he, the difference that makes a difference, that the reason he is the guy is that what that we just heard, so that too. he yeah. was sincerely, deeply influenced, yeah. although didn't become an objectivist completely, no. but right. very influenced. Yeah. Right. And, no, and I wouldn't necessarily have a religious test. Although with you know Dr. Leonard Peikoff, I share um, his concern that the long-term problem we really face is the religious right. In the long run, I think they are more dangerous. And so, uh, even though I believe that, I wouldn't necessarily have a religious test because you know in the, our current state where as you say we, we it is all it is almost always the lesser of two evils that we're choosing right. from and we rarely get a perfect candidate i wouldn't necessarily have a religious test um yeah. on the other hand so very frequently uh when I, when you hear a religious uh, republican uh I, I i can only hear that uh future um theocracy 
uh, in the words they speak. If you can listen to a Rick Santorum, for example, mm-hmm. yeah. he's a religious he's the man, and he's everything the he says, you can tell everything. what the man wants is theocracy. He uh, wants right. to religiously govern our lives yeah. uh, based well, on and, the and Bible. He's also literally against the pursuit of happiness. Literally, he said that. Yeah, literally, oh, yeah. against literally. the pursuit yeah. of What's happiness. What's so great about the pursuit of happiness? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's unbelievable. You know, and, and I think one of the most effective means in opposition to net neutrality is would you want Rick Santorum in charge of yeah. the Internet? Yeah. And I would say most liberals should be pretty scared if there was a Rick Santorum in charge of the Internet. As right. no one's, I don't think anyone's ever going to elect him president anyway, so I think we're pretty safe. Right. Yeah. Bosch has this old post of his from February 2012 from his blog at com, and it's separation of Santorum and state. That is what we Please. all should... <laughs> Santorum and those like him, but I, you know, I I don't think that that Ted Cruz is Santorum. So so no. Jim, here's a here's a question I want to ask you because again, even if we have Ted Cruz in, there's probably going to be some issues and things that we would you know have. But he he would be obviously the the best of the ones that we can tell right now. If we were to get him in 2016, I would be thrilled myself. I, it would right. be that kind of beyond be my the most happy result. Yeah. In right. this climate, sorry, post Obama, I, I think something like that could possibly happen. Something that extreme. Something post that, Obama I, I is post what Obama. makes it possible. You're absolutely yes. right. Yes. You're absolutely yes. right. I think See, the too. problem is we don't really have a consensus in this country for doing the right thing. No, right. consensus doesn't make, a mor- make something moral, but it does, unfortunately, control our politics. And so while there are some people who, and we are growing, and I think it's one of the exciting things about our time, is that we are making inroads. People are buying Atlas Shrugged. Uh, people, right. The discussion about individual rights and the founders has been kicked into life by Obama. Yes. Bless his That's the best thing he's done for America, is to create a principled opposition, actually, and to increase the right. sales of Ayn Rand books. Uh, right. There's no doubt that's been the sort of perverse uh, uh, positive effect of him. But we still need to persuade. And there's no substitute in the long run for our doing the rolling up our sleeves and doing the hard work of persuading people so that we do get a majority on our side. What, right. what people do is they swing wildly from one end to the other. Bush completely destroyed the Republican brand. At least there was Newt Gingrich yes, and Ronald Reagan had at least given the, the the American public the idea that, okay, they're fiscally responsible. They won't spend right. like, you know, drunken sailors. <laughs> George Bush came in and, and just uh, knocked a hole he creates whole new gov- department, d- departments of he, government, whole new health care entitlements, right. whole huge spending on education, etc. etc. Et right. I may, right. We may as well have voted for the Democrat. Frankly, yeah. we would have gotten far more <laughs> on our side had the Democrat and not George W. been in there. Right. Um, and, and, if we, yeah. and if we have, you know, basically anybody else out there except for Cruz, I'm afraid that we're just going to be in for more of the same. It's going to be Lucy right. and Charlie Brown oh, all yeah. over again. Oh, yeah. Um, it, but you see, they swing from, horrible. we hate George Bush, so we'll vote for Obama. Yeah. Twice, because yeah. George Bush so destroyed our brand. And then... No, uh, then you hear it. Then you have George, then you have Obama, and he's now busy destroying the Democrat brand. So as Bosch says, I think we we've got a, at least an opportunity now to get a, a cruise in there, and let's hope we don't blow it. Well, and let's let's hope Republicans you know come to their senses and realize that it is actually I believe it is actually Cruz 
who just achieved this midterm victory for the Republicans that nobody expected to be as good as it was. It is because of Cruz, not in spite of Cruz, as a lot of them are are trying to spin it. But let let me ask you this question, Jim. Um, And this is kind of where my interest is starting to turn, because when you see someone like Obama, who is really, you know, regardless of, you know, the exact effect of, you know, the executive amnesty and whether it alone by itself represents a destroying of checks and balances, it along with everything else that he's doing and plans to do in the next little while is going to be amounting to destroying checks and balances, right? And, and oh, yeah, no, it's definitely another brick in the wall. Yeah, even if I, even with my opinion that he may be acting in a, in statutory authority by doing this by pushing this in the face of the Congress at this particular moment, it's part and parcel of the, the wider power grab that he's been involved in. Yeah, right, right, and with the attitude and everything else. So, so you know what you end up with is looking at this. Look, we are in an irrational society. <laughs> we are not going to anytime soon come out of being in an irrational society as far as I know. And so, you know, the the question that Rand was asked was, how do you live a rational life in an irrational society? And one element of that that she spoke about in the essay of that name was that you always pronounce moral judgment. And of course, I pronounce moral judgment here once a week on all the horrible <laughs> things that Obama and these, you know, we, we do it. So we're doing that part. But what other things do you personally, Jim, do to try to live a rational, you know, life full of the pursuit of happiness within the society that we have? What, how do you see that? Whew, wow, that is really, and it's an increasingly difficult challenge because obviously freedom is the very oxygen of creativity and happiness. The less freedom we have, the more micromanaged, and I mean whether it's the size of sodas we can buy or the places we can smoke cigarettes or all the other picayune little regulations, death by a, you know, freedom is dying a death by a thousand stabs. And when that, when we live in a world that is so regimented, there really can be no thought there really can be no individual individualism is is stymied ayn rand was absolutely right it destroys the mind that is and the mind is the fundamental tool of survival and by extension happiness so uh yeah it the the more government there is the more of a box they put us in and so what we try to do is create the you know as wide a box for our elbow room as possible for our happiness uh it's a very difficult and growing challenge. There are whole professions that are now, I couldn't conceive of going into what used to be a valid profession, but there are whole professions now that, that, are, that are, you almost have to be corrupt to just do it. Um, right. So that is, a, that is a really, really profound question. In terms of your own sanity, in terms of the future, Miss Rand had it exactly right. We have to, we have to, pronounce moral judgment and know with the clarity in our own mind because she also said and this is maybe the more positive side of it those who work for the future live in it today right those who fight for the future live in it today and so we are definitely doing that as well And so that's what we need to do as much as possible even if what we're doing is fighting and even if all we're doing is fighting at least we're fighting at least we're we're doing the best we can now in for myself it Mm -hmm. I, there's no way I'm going to live to see a rational world, as you see. That doesn't stop me from trying to persuade 
as many people as I can, everyone within my voice or my arm's reach. Uh, we do have to choose our battles carefully. We have to choose the most important ones at the, at the time, and that limits our, our options, too. But in terms of living a happy life, uh, mm-hmm. find good friends. Find find a career that doesn't corrupt your soul and that you love and that that really fulfills you. And uh, there, you know, I know it's the the world is is falling in on us every day in a dramatic way, but um, it's it's shows like yours making connections between uh, our those of us who share the same values. Uh, that's the only hope for increasing and growing our voice and making it uh, have a difference to make the world better. Those are definitely elements that I think would be important. I mean, it's really trying to build a good life despite, despite, you know, what, d- despite what's out there. And, despite that. Yeah, and and of course, continuing, you definitely do want to fight for the future so that you can, to that extent, live in it. And I would also say, you know, kind of drinking in some of the literature and the history of the past, because of course there were eras that were much better than what we have now. Or, you know, you know, again, Absolutely. if I read an Orwell, I say, wow, you know, Orwell shares the spirit, the anti-totalitarian spirit that exactly. we have. Even though and there's I think an interesting he, fellow. You know, I mean, he was a socialist. And he is a socialist that I enjoy reading. Yeah. <laughs> there's so yeah. many things, that, that, you know, about, about Orwell that, is, that fascinates me as a human being, too. Now, he's certainly not perfect. I agree with Rand's general criticism of Animal Farm, for example, uh, as a literary exercise and a political exercise. But there's so much value there, too. And that's right. you're absolutely right. What we should do is find the values we can find and mine them, <laughs> mine the hell out of them, get what we can. And sometimes it's, it's, it'll, it'll feel like trying to find a rose petal on a pile of manure, but when you're down to just a handful of rose petals, <laughs> Hold on. it's sometimes Hold all on. you can do. Yep. I, you know, when, when you're reading 1984 and the, and the characters are talking about things like, gee, I wonder what a lemon was, you know, right. I mean, it's really, really scary. And then when you think again of, you know, you know, Orwell thought it was going to happen in 1984. Here we are, 2014, when the so-called telescreen, I'm sitting in front of like three or four, <laughs> three or four telescreens right now. Um and is Big Brother watching you, though? <laughs> I guess if they I eliminate always, net always, neutrality, Big Brother will be watching us at all times. <laughs> I always or, invite the NSA to call in or, you know, each each show that we have, right? But, right. Um, you know, but it gets it gets really scary. The dangers of net to, neutrality, you, right. Yeah, and you start really thinking about, okay, this is going to be for the rest of my life. Uh, it's going to be an irrational society. You can't think, oh, I'm going to anticipate that when Ted Cruz wins in 2000, I mean, first of all, I don't even know if he can, but even if Ted Cruz wins in 2016, we're still going to be living in a rational society for decades. And in a way, we don't have to accept it, right? We We can still judge it as bad and unfair and horrible, but we have to make a certain peace with it in the sense of living our own lives. And so that's why I'm starting to come, come around to that question and, and explore some other topics like that little selfish minimalism piece that I threw out there. Um, right. You know, minimalism that was a lovely, kind of, that was really a lovely thing. Uh, the, well, the, that description of Hank Reardon's office that you did, oh, that was really well, lovely. Really. Brian did that description, but I was just kind of pulling it out as inspiration for people who 
think of minimalism as an an aesthetic ideal to surround themselves with either in their workspaces or their home spaces isn't that a, a beautiful picture and so yeah just trying to look at some of the the positive things now you know again we can't go become ostriches and bury our heads in the sand in in order to really live in in the future which we are hopeful can be better you know we've got to do that but you know so so i think partly what we need to do so someone here in the chat room said buy guns and store food you know <laughs> um <laughs> Well, I am I, sometimes tempted to uh, buy a lot of guns and bury a lot of gold and just hope for the best. But no, I, I think we should. We 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 need to fight. We need to yes. fight to truly give up on the world. Is to give up on, on our lives, ourselves. Maybe. Is it's really. I mean, life. I couldn't. I would feel like I was giving up on myself yes. if I didn't keep fighting for the world. Um, I, I, I know. I know. I have a little bit of Dagny Taggart in me. I think I would be hard to. I think I would be one of the last people to talk into going on strike, even when okay. it was the rational thing to do. I've always right. had a, a profound sympathy for Dagny Taggart, my favorite character in all of literature. Uh, so maybe I am a, a little, little bit that way. But, but you really, I, 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 when I give up on the world, it'll be a really. It, 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 I will need therapy. <laughs> I probably will need to go on some antidepressant drugs or something at that point because it, it's I'm an individualist and and you know like Howard Rourke there there is a place where the pain doesn't go down. The world can be corrupt enough. It's not going to influence my own happiness. At least I can separate that out and say it's it's bad. But I've got to fight it. But I've got to fight it. And if I don't fight it, then I just feel like I've given up. Absolutely. But then at the same time, you know, Rand said, and it is so true, and I always try to reemphasize it here, which is never think of pain or enemies longer than is necessary to, in effect, take action about it. I, I'm, I didn't get right. the quote exactly correct. That's right. But, the, but, but you don't think of pain or enemies any longer than is necessary to do something about them. And, and so, you know, I, I toy with ideas. You know, if, if I was a daily talk show host, would I do that much better? And I don't know, you know, I, I don't think that the, the daily grind of commenting on every little comma and, and period that Boehner, you know, echoes in his speech is really going to help anybody. Well, there are, there are talk shows who do a lot more than that. They basically avoid some of the uh, daily daily stories and talk about philosophy, talk about him. There, yeah, there is some no, of that, too. Uh, Levin, so we'll, it's the connective, that it's the connective tissue that I think we need. We need people to relate the current event. It's not so much, you know, despairing on every little semicolon that right. Boehner gets wrong. It's finding right. the general theme that he's getting wrong, connecting it to ideas, and showing that to, to in, your, in, in the discussion. I think that's the most effective because it gets people to see the, the real practical relationship between the philosophic ideas that the bad guys are spouting and the, philosophic, the better philosophic ideas we're trying to sell them on. Right. Now, um, Jim, you can, of course, tell the audience, but the one book of yours that, of course, I really appreciated that you did is that you slogged through a lot of material and created The Passion of Ayn Rand's Critics, uh, a little tour de force, but you have other projects since then. I, I want to just give you a chance to promote them to the audience since you've indulged us by hanging around and sharing your expertise here. Yeah, you've been great. Oh, well, thank you very much for your kind kind words on that, too. Uh, in the case of The Passion of Ayn Rand's critics, uh, they're, you know, reading the biographies of Ayn Rand can be a very 
disturbing thing for people who admire Ayn Rand because they're filled with lies, exaggerations, distortions, and all kinds of other nonsense. And I realized that a lot of people weren't catching the that because a lot of those lies and distortions you can identify just by reading the books. And right. that's what really motivated me to, to do that. And um and so having and I do intend uh, another future project I have, I'm I'm not done with that. Uh I do intend a, an expanded second edition of the Passion of Ayn Rand's Critics. But that's going to be the project after the one that I'm currently working on, which is a, a history of the origins of Christianity. Um, wow. called Creating Christ. And um, a colleague of mine and I have been working on it for no less than 30 years. It's an wow. examination. Yeah, it's an examination of the uh, historical origins of the New Testament in the first century. Ayn Rand, maybe I can connect the project, because it is really not directly related to objectivism. It's a work of pure history. Uh, on the other hand, maybe I can relate it to your audience in the following way. Ayn Rand said that there is no earthly reason for altruism. Why should a piece of cake in your stomach be evil, but a virtue when you give it to someone else's stomach? Well, right. of course, there is no earthly reason for altruism. It's pure, purely based in mysticism and always has been. But then you have to ask a second question. Well, what is the real world motive behind those demanding sacrifice? And again, Miss Rand had the answer. She said it's power. When there's someone demanding sacrifice, there's also someone collecting sacrifices. There's going to be right. a Stalin or a Hitler there at the end of the line collecting the sacrifices. It's a power. It's a power grab is really what it is. And when you think about the origins of altruism in the West, it's largely rooted in, although not completely, it's largely rooted in Christianity. The religions before Christianity were had actually sort of an implicit egoistic element, at least, to them. They were a mixed bag of collectivist elements, uh, but also some egoistic elements as well. Even Plato, in a sense, was an implicit egoist. And so you wonder, how did the Christian altruism turn the other cheek, you know, kind of altruism actually get injected into the West? And our book does demystify that. It explains the political power reasons behind the creation of Christianity. Hmm. To, put it, to put it quite simply, uh, uh, in the first century, there was a war between the Roman Empire and the Jewish people. In the first century, uh, the the entire Jewish population in the Roman Empire, which was quite considerable and quite threatening at the time, were messianic fanatics. Um, uh, uh, several of them were Roman collaborators, uh, to be sure, but the bulk of the population were religiously, very much like al-Qaeda terrorists today, they were suicidal in their religious zeal. They wanted mm. religious independence from Rome, and they literally committed mass suicide in battles like Masada rather than submit to the Roman Empire. They, the Dead Sea Scrolls are a very good uh, expression of contemporary Jewish thought at the time. Hate your enemies. Fight the sons of darkness. We're going to achieve our cultural independence over Rome. And literally, uh, they were engaged in terrorist activities in the city of Rome itself, very wow. much like al-Qaeda terrorists today. Um, so the Roman response was Christianity. It now sounds wow. like absolute crazy nonsense when you first hear it. You mean the anti-Roman? Isn't Christianity anti-Roman? 
Didn't the Romans crucify Jesus? Did, weren't Christians persecuted under the Roman right. Empire? Well, right. all, all of that is answered in, the, in, in my book. Uh, but the, the bottom line is, is that the Gospels, when you examine them, when you break them down, are first century um, propaganda written by the Romans to quell the Jewish population. Okay. It can be now demonstrated listen, Jim, on. We've got we've got only two minutes oh, left. I'm sorry. So you, you got you got about a minute to wrap it up if you can. Oh sure, it can be seen on many many levels, uh, such as the Pilate story. You know, I find no fault in him, and the Jewish crowd saying, "Let his blood be on us," or Jesus's praise of the centurion when he says, "Centurions have greater faith than any Jew," and so forth, as, along with Jesus's pleas to pay your taxes and, and be peacemakers. So it's a general argument about uh, the ideology of Christianity, where altruism comes from, and how it was really uh, Roman propaganda. Okay, so and the title of it. It's creating Christ, how Roman creating? emperors invented Christianity. And when do you expect it to be out and available? We hope it will be published sometime next year. Okay. We're marketing it right now. Um, look for uh, an article of mine that I hope to be published in uh, the Objective Standard next year, okay. uh, which applies this to the Founding Fathers, which demonstrates how the Founding Fathers completely ignored the Bible, despite what conservatives say. It's an article of faith, of course, among conservatives today, okay. that the Bible is, is really what the Founding Fathers were enacting. Uh, okay, but, of course, great. nothing could be further from the truth. Well, thank you, James, James uh, Valiant, great, for great calling in, and thanks for talking for so <laughs> sure. long. We, well, uh, we I'm, do... I'm just grateful you had all this time with me, and I'm sorry I took so much of it. No, no, no worries. We we, we definitely enjoyed it. So definitely do call in again. So thank you very much. We have about 30 seconds left, so I have to tell you, if you want to continue today's discussion, go over to my blog at DontLetItGo.com. At the blog, you can, of course, subscribe to the blog, follow the blog, then you never miss anything from us. But you can also subscribe at iTunes. You can leave ratings and reviews at iTunes. You can contribute to the show. Thank you to all of you who are show donors. And you can also use our handy-dandy Amazon link on the right-hand side. Plus, share the show with your friends. Visit Bosch's blog at faustin.blogspot.com. And I think I've covered it all. Thanks, everyone. Have a good weekend.